Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ed Up, Ed Up Accreditation with your host, Dr. Lori Shanderson. That is me. And our special guest today is Jonathan Punkashar, and he is the Assistant Vice President at Enterprise Transformation Office, and that is in Brentwood, Tennessee. Welcome, John. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me today. Well, we are excited to learn everything that you know about everything. We might not have enough time for that, but um, at least enough of the good stuff that I think uh, that the audience wants to hear. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your role as AVP of the Enterprise Transformation Office at LifePoint Health? I might have I might have left that part out. Um, yeah, just give us a little bit of background and we'll dive into the rest of the questions. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, so my role here at LifePoint, we have around 60 acute care hospitals across the United States. Um, we have physician practices, we have inpatient rehab facilities, behavioral health facilities. So it's a, um, you know, it's a nice diverse uh, healthcare organization that satisfies you know, the majority of the healthcare needs uh, across the US. And uh, what my office focuses on is a couple of different aspects. Um, one is performance improvement and process improvement. So we have a nice team that uh, looks at uh, those aspects. We have an intelligent automation team that uses technology to, you know, streamline, take out waste, uh, automate anything we can, and uh, and I uh, bridge both areas. And so I focus on process and and um, how do we innovate and uh, create better processes through the use of you know people, process, and technology. So. Um, I have a, a, a bit of a technology background, a process background, an engineering background, a business background, and uh, have, have been in a couple of different industries, but in healthcare for about 15 years now, and, you know, continue to learn and, and uh, work to, you know, help improve everything that I can. And that's what my team focuses on, you know, here at LifePoint. And we have a lot of, a lot of fun doing it. There's still a lot of work and low-hanging fruit, you know, in healthcare uh, to try to tackle. John, is the is the name Enterprise Transformation? Is that a name of a new? I like. I'm not familiar with the name with that name as a unit title. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's in use of different uh, organizations, and so it's. Um, I think we spun this up this organ this group uh, within LifePoint within the last year. So it's new new as a new uh, departmental title you know, here at LifePoint. And uh, before it might've been performance improvement and then okay. intelligent automation. So we merged a couple of the functions and there's other organizations that share the same um, departmental name. And so you might see, uh, you know, see it dependent on the healthcare organization. It's not consistently used, you know, across every healthcare organization, but, you know, we found it's a good fit, you know, for what our goals are and strategy is here at LifePoint. Do you, does your unit provide a lot of the benchmarking data? You mentioned that you're uh, focused on performance improvement. So the metrics that you all gather, are they benchmarked against an accreditation or a regulatory agency? It, it could be a part of it, you know, so we might, you know, uh, lean on the advisory board, you know, if it's something that uh, they might have. Uh, we certainly use the um, national publications wherever they might exist to provide benchmarking. Um, uh, or and then we might also uh, set a baseline as we're looking at uh, where where does LifePoint sit, you know, across different KPIs um, as an organization and baseline where where are we today, you know, what's the benchmark or best practice out in the industry, 
and uh, where do we need to be? So I know LifePoint as a whole, from a quality perspective, does use a lot of the um, you know, leapfrog you know, quality um, organizations and, and things like that uh, to leverage. And so uh, a lot of what I focus on is um, operational throughput, um, you know, metrics and things like that, that we can, you know, help from an operational and business perspective wherever possible. And we also have teams that um, work from a clinical perspective to make sure, you know, if we're, if the patient's ready to be discharged, that we're discharging them in a timely manner. And so uh, obviously there's a clinical component and accreditation um, impact, um, but also uh, we can't uh, bring a new patient in if we're full, if we're not discharging the patients we have. And so uh, efficiency is a part of what our team is trying to drive um, in a clinically responsible manner, you know, to support our accreditation as well. Very well said. In um, your background, I mean, you mentioned some engineering, you mentioned uh, quality, you mentioned healthcare, and, and this amalgamation of skills, I think, um, lends itself to your being valuable in a lot of critical areas. So what would you say to someone who's early in their career um, maybe about going into another direction or exploring uh, different things that may resonate with them a little bit more than what they're doing right now, especially as it relates to um, what you're doing. Yeah, I think one of the things, there's a couple of lessons that, you know, I think are, that I've learned through my journey that, you know, I love to share with people. And, you know, one of those lessons is being comfortable, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. You know, and so as a growing uh, leader, there's always going to be a sense of not knowing all the answers. And so um, I'm a naturally curious person. And so if you are as well, it's always good to continue that to inspire and, and tap into that natural curiosity to continue to learn uh, the other things that you might be picking up in different meetings with your peers and colleagues at your organization or in healthcare, reading publications and uh, Becker's and different things like that that come across. And so, you know, the key to that, I think, is um, continuing to expand your, your book of knowledge in healthcare because it is so complex. There's so many different dynamics and dimensions to it. Mm -hmm. um, to stay open to learning something that may not apply to you today, but it's a little nugget. If you can learn it, tuck it away or be curious about it and, and, and add that to your internal book of knowledge, it may come up in a different uh, project that you're working on or a different conversation where you might need to, you know, rely back on that piece of information that you educated yourself with. And, and so I think that's, that's where I really, you know, uh, try to help people understand that volunteering is a good thing, you know, volunteer to do things that may not be in your immediate uh, realm of control or span of uh, responsibility. Um, if you have the ability to, you know, and sometimes you may not have the bandwidth or ability, but if you do, um, your learning is, is key, especially in healthcare. There's so much to learn. And I, and I, I'll say that pretty much every, um, every volunteering, um, opportunity I've had is, has reaped dividends at some point in, in time later, you know, so you may not use something that you learned today, but you may need it and leverage that later. It could be a relationship that you make. It could be uh, technical knowledge about healthcare that you need later, or it may be an, um, a little nugget that says, oh, there's something about what we were just talking about that needs more um, digging and investigation. And what, what do I need to do about that? And so that, as a leader, I think those are the things that are important to know. When do I, when do I recognize that there's something uh, from a regulatory perspective or a patient care perspective where I know there's something that needs to be addressed. I don't know the answer to it, but I know, I know enough 
to say, I need to rely on an expert somewhere and then tap into that expert to come in and, and help make sure we're, you know, following the right uh, path, staying within the right boundaries and developing whatever approach we develop. Um, that's the right thing to do, uh, you know, for the patient and for our, our staff and, uh, you know, our healthcare constituents and stakeholders. I mean, I agree with everything that you said. You know, a lot of times we are focused and we're on this one um, track of what we do and, and, you know, everything around what we do when we don't really step outside of that. A lot of times it's not time to do that. But, you know, I always encourage um, as a mentor, um, my mentees to read things that just sound interesting, to go to conferences and to sit in on sessions where there are things they, they've not heard of before. Because having that context, to your point, is something that you may use later on, or at least just being exposed to it uh, gives you a better footing in, in conversations and in opportunities. Absolutely. No, I think you're, you're dead on. That's a really, really good advice. And, you know, I think that's a great, you know, great reminder to us all. You, you mentioned um, patient-centered care a little bit, and I, I want to know your thoughts about what you believe the role is of patient-centered care and the transformation of healthcare services. Yeah, it's such a highly regulated um, industry, you know, that we talk about innovating and, and transforming that um, it's it's a pretty interesting, you know, area to be involved in because, um, you know, I think there's tons of opportunity to innovate, you know, and, and be efficient and, you know, help the patients through the process. Um, but we have to be mindful of what are those um, boundaries and, and areas that we need to be aware of that we don't um, mis make a mistake, you know, and uh, cause a problem somewhere. And so I think that's where, you know, keeping the patient, you know, uh, um, at the forefront, I think is a, just a good exercise as, in general. And it's, to me, it's kind of an easy thing to do because at some point in our, my life, I know I've been a patient, you know, and so um, it's an easy question to ask us of ourselves is to say, if I were a patient, well, how would I like to be treated or what would I like that experience to be or how would I like to be, you know, handled in a healthcare setting, you know, and so, um, you know, it's easy to put that hat on as we're going through and trying to transform things and, and innovate and, uh, you know, create better ways of doing things. So, um, or how would I like my mother to be treated or my father or somebody, my, my child, my daughter, my brother, you know, uh, my son. And so I think taking those aspects into it is a very, um, you know, human way uh, to, to be guided in that. And then I think there's just the technical side of, you know, what is the joint conditions, you know, standard on something? What, you know, what are the um, regulatory aspects to things, you know, that we need to be aware of? Because sometimes the projects or initiatives that we get involved in, you know, have very specific guardrails that we need to be aware of. And, uh, and then it's just a matter of becoming knowledgeable about it and or pulling in experts and consultants you know, if, if a consultant's needed, you know, for a very technical piece and then um, and then working out a way to uh, to do something in a better way. And the guardrails that you mentioned, like the regulatory agencies um, to maintain the accreditations and the certifications that you've earned, um, those are definitely guiding your actions. Is that correct? What I heard you say? Yeah, no, that's, you know, ACHE, American College of Healthcare Executives. Um, you know, they provide uh, the fellow credential, and it's, to me, such an important credential in healthcare as a leader to be involved in because they um, are, have a, it's, it's a, what I, what I like to say, it's a tall hill to climb, 
in order to get the credential. So it's not just giving away. Um, you really have to invest yourself and your time in learning you now healthcare and the different dimensions and dynamics and perspectives, you know, of, of 10 different topic areas in order to get right. the fellow, you know. And so I think that's where it just helps round me out. It's helped me out, round me out and continues to help round me out in the different areas that I may not be exposed to on a daily basis um, as a part of getting that accreditation, uh, you know, for, you know, for that credential, which is, you know, I think an invaluable um, piece of continuing to learn and invest myself um, as, as improving and being a better leader every day. You know, I, I mean, that's well stated because we talk about accreditation and certification, especially when you talk about um, ACHE. And I think the goal is that we know about the rigor, we know about the content that was shared, we know about the expertise that you would needed to earn such a credential. And that um, equates to quality, right? There's quality. We know that you've mastered this material and you can apply it in ways that would be helpful to your organization and ultimately the entire healthcare system. So um, that's, that's just right. one piece of it. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, great point. So you mentioned um, before the last question um, a little bit about patient care and, you know, someone in your role, and if you tell people, oh, I'm in the healthcare industry, you know, they immediately go to direct patient care and, you know, you don't have direct patient care, but you spoke so much about the patient experience and how to preserve that and how to respect that. And I just uh, wanted to know as a leader, right, not someone who has direct patient care, but as a leader in enterprise transformation, you know, what strategies do you use to align organizational change? Um, well, you know, any... it's really interesting. Yeah, it, it, you know, um, I'm at, I work at the enterprise level, you know, across the entire system. And so I, I typically work on things that are uh, scaled. Whatever we can do, can it be scaled, you know, provided across the board um, to all of our hospitals and, and help our patients? And, you know, it's uh, almost ironic, you know, communication, the ability to communicate well, continues to come up as a theme in healthcare. Um, you know, just even being able to communicate with our patients. Can we text our patients? Can we, you know, communicate that with them in a in an effective manner? Nobody answers the phone anymore. You know, they they let, you know, in, inbound phone calls, you know, they let it roll to their voicemail. You know, so can we text our patients? You know, can we do things like that that, you know, meet them where they are? Uh, and then you know, think of extending it to the patient family. Um, if the patients in the hospital getting surgery, you know, typically they bring a loved one with them. The loved ones are nervous about it. You know, the patients um, going through surgery, they're unconscious, you know, and so, the, you know, they're they're in, in happy land, you know, under anesthesia right now. Right. And the patient's family is out there just wondering how things are going. And so, um, you know, there are tools in place that, uh, that are available to communicate with the patient during the surgical experience um, that the nurses can use to, you know, uh, inform the patient's family of how things are going and, and things like that. And so um, that's where I think there's the opportunity to come in and, and say, let's, um, let's make sure we're giving good patient clinical care, but let's make sure we're also addressing and communicating well so that the patients and their loved ones are aware of what's going on and understand what to do and, and, and things like that. And so, you know, it's, it's not just having a good doctor that diagnoses, you know, the patient well and, and performs the right surgery, which, you know, is, is a must have. Um, it's also the, you know, those peripherals, you know, um, touch points and points of intersection that make sense to, 
uh, you know, consider and invest in and make sure that we're um, providing and equipping our nurses and caretakers, you know, to be able to interact well in a way that makes sense, you know, for the patients and their families. I mean, and they, they really are powerful, innovative tools. I mean, that is absolutely how you incorporate innovation into the healthcare process. And I think about the last time I was at the hospital with a family member and um, they were having a procedure uh, performed and there was a screen where it wasn't their name, but there was a number and I could tell what stages uh, they were in and where they were progressing through, um, you know, their, their surgery. So that was amazing. And, you know, it, it put me at ease. It gave me a good timeframe of when I needed to be back. And all of this feeds into the patient experience. Yeah, it really does. I mean, there's there's a there's a funny story where you know the the patients will get you know have surgery done, and then uh, from a regulatory perspective, there's the uh, questionnaire that the patients get asked later. You know, and so Prescani does that these questionnaires a lot, um, and uh, CMS really you know uh, has built some of these these things in from a re- regulatory perspective that we need to have um, you know good patient uh, re- you know experiences as well. And, uh, and one of the interesting parts of this is if the patient's family um, had no idea what was going on and were anxious, you know, they actually, um, you know, talk to the patient when the patient recovers or, you know, comes out of anesthesia and it, it carries over to the patient. So now the patient's hearing about how worried the patient's family was. And then the patient right. gets the survey and the patient responds to the questions thinking about their, their family's experience. And all of a sudden the score you know, is not as high as it could have been. And so it's just interesting how, you know, it, it's not just the patient's experience themselves, but there's some halo effects, you know, that, that that does impact, you know, some of these things. So it's important, you know, and just as people, just to take care of their families as well and and help people understand that, um, like you said, you, you've had a sense of comfort knowing where things were, how things were going. You know, if you needed to go get lunch, you didn't want to be you know, gone if the surgeon needed to come out and talk to somebody, you know, and, and uh, all those things factor in. Absolutely. It, it was, it was really interesting. And I, I'd like to see that we, we have advanced that much in these, they're really quality, quality initiatives. You know, it's not like it was a, a big, a big, a huge thing, but that small thing in terms of the communication made such a difference relative to my anxiety. I'm sure my family members anxiety, it just, it made things better, this little innovation. And, you know, what, um, what future trends in healthcare do you see, John, that you believe will impact, um, you know, like the guardrails you mentioned or accreditation or regulatory processes? What do you think is coming down the line that's going to have an impact on how we do things today? Well, I think there's there's a lot of pressures around, you know, do we have access to uh, qualified healthcare providers? You know, are we dealing with a nursing shortage? You know, the answer is yes. Um, you know, are we dealing with, uh, you know, having enough medical doctors uh, to take care of patients? What about the rural areas? Do we have the right resources there? And so I think the trends will continue to be, you know, what can be done uh, through telehealth? What can be done remotely? Um, I think we'll get into more and more of, um, you know, what can be, uh, you know, if we're having trouble educating people or having access to educated people, and we have more and more work that's being done to develop artificial intelligence, you know, to um, be able to diagnose people, that's, that's, that'll be an interesting trend, you know, to keep our eye on. You know, AI has been around for quite a while. 
uh, even though it seems to be everything we see in the in the news today makes it seem like it's brand new. You know, well, that's because I think um, it's it's evolved to the point where it's becoming more, you know, better, uh, more accurate. And people are trying to say, how can we inject this into healthcare and uh, process it either from a clinical perspective or from a billing perspective or an operations perspective or a scheduling perspective? And so I think that we'll see more um, uh, technology options, um, you know, take on more uh, the, the routine tasks that it, that it can, and that's appropriate. Um, I think that healthcare being a regulated, regulated uh, industry, um, it's such a labor intensive industry where there's, you know, so many if statements, then statements around, you know, every patient's different, everybody's body's a little bit different. And so it's really hard to make blanket, you know, blanket statements that fit everybody, you know. And so I think that that's typically where I think we'll see, um, you know, more trends and more innovation, just trying to figure out how can technology help, um, but not step over the line, you know, and how can it do as much as it needs to do uh, before something is um, before a, a, a clinician is brought in to take it to the next step or the next level and get into the you know next layer of care. So um, I think there's a lot that will be done over the next 10 to 20 years, you know, that will be surprised by some things, not surprised by others. Um, there, there probably will be some new innovation that nobody knew about that will come in and, and uh, you know, be amazing. Nanotechnology, you know, all sorts right. of different things. So. Or, or things that we're afraid of. I, I mean, I have to admit, when I first heard of the um, Da Vinci robots and those um, robot, you know, it's scary to think that those those things won't be, um, you know, operating by robot. But then when you look at the precision, um, you know, of the robots versus someone's shaky hand or if something knocks into their hand, and if you if you think about it that way, you become much more comfortable with it. And I think that's the case for AI, you know, because many of us haven't had to work with it, and it wasn't at the level where a basic consum a consumer could do anything with it. And now that we can, and we see the power of it, I think that's somewhat intimidating and it's a little scary. So to think about incorporating that into healthcare, I think for many, it's still gonna continue to be um, a little scary to put based on how we use it. <laughs> I think you're, you know, you're, you're talking about the exact same things that, you know, everybody's trying to think through right now, you know? And I think it's having guardrails that um, we can feel comfortable that AI is able to stay in between. So I think of my own concerns, you know, with AI. And my big question is, how does how do we know that it's not going outside, you know, the the lines um, that we want to keep it inside? And so that that to me is a, a, a journey that we're on right now is to figure out how can we, you know, create some boundaries that AI can exist within and help us. Um, but we have to be confident and assured that it's staying within those boundaries. And so I think that's that's we'll probably see more um, get get put together around that uh, to where we can see it operate in consistent in a consistent manner. And, you know, there's a lot of, sci you know, sci fi movies out there where A.I. just all of a sudden it goes rogue, you know, and I, I think I just we saw, just don't want it to go rogue. I just saw one and, and some Teslas were, were piled up in the movie that I saw, but uh, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I, saw that. I mean, it, it's interesting, but you know, if you think about the source and as you were speaking, I'm thinking about something like Wikipedia, which had all of us in, in higher ed, like shaking in our boots when it first became a thing, because we knew that it, well, we didn't consider it a reliable source at the time because anyone could manipulate, you know, the content. 
And if you think about AI and where does this content come from and is it vetted and is it real, you know, maybe they'll design it where, you know, you need instant information. It only comes from one viable source or you can choose the source and you can use AI to navigate and to search, um, you know, through a specified a group of information versus just taking it from anywhere where you where you might not have the time to vet it. I mean, I think the quickness in which you can have access to so much information is what causes at least a little bit of trepidation. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to take, you know, what AI can provide at the touch of a finger, you know, by putting in a question, you know, versus, you know, what, um, you know, what's the critical thinking process? So I think the critical thinking process is something that um, AI is not necessarily ready to do yet, you know, in a way that, that we're still able to do. And um, I think in higher education, uh, my, my journey was, you know, seeing the, a lot of the tasks, questions, quizzes, tests, papers, we're all about trying to figure out, is somebody able to think critically, come up with new ideas, um, test somebody else's idea, you know? And so that's the part where, from a higher education perspective, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how do we leverage AI, uh, you know, to get more information, put it in our fingertips so that we can then figure out what that critical next question is right. that nobody's thought about before. Because right. in my opinion, AI doesn't help do anything new. Right. We are the ones that do things new. You know, AI essentially learns from something that's already been done. Right. And, and so I think that'll be interesting to see if, well, first, if what I just said continues to remain true, you know, um, does AI, can AI create a new question that's never been asked before or answer a question that's never been answered before, you know, or will it still just be, you know, good at learning how to do something somebody else has already mastered? Right. I mean, and that's scary. <laughs> so now we're <laughs> talking about the the twilight zone type of futuristic kind of things. I mean, to me, it's a little scary uh, to think about that. And I hope that we never lose the critical thinking piece because that is so important. To have information is one thing. To be able to apply it, analyze, synthesize, um, and produce something meaningful from it is another thing. And I think that AI has demonstrated it has proficiency at least in a few of those things. And uh, I just think we need to continue to cultivate the human mind and the ability to use these tools uh, for better outcomes That's and right. not to replace. Um, maybe I think agree. of that, but that were wasteful. Well, I appreciate your spending so much time with me today. And I love being able to share your role and what it is because, you know, again, I've never heard of that unit before, but I definitely understand what you do and having benchmarks and guardrails via accreditation agencies, regulatory. I mean, it's what has to happen and what needs to be in place to ensure quality. And um, it's just something that, you know, is critically important, but we're not used to hearing about. So I appreciate the time that you've taken with me today. Oh, you're you know, welcome. I, I failed to mention that you were the president. You are the president of the um, Middle Tennessee chapter of our ACHE um, chapter yeah. here in Middle Tennessee. So yeah, no, that's right. I'm I'm glad glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's a great organization, and uh, they have a you know great program and you know, at the national level. And uh, we have a great chapter here in Middle Tennessee. And, you know, if anybody's listening to this and is curious about it, ACHEMT.org, you know, go check us out, uh, get involved. Love to get to know people that, that are interested. Well, I will definitely make sure that the link uh, to the LinkedIn page is posted underneath this podcast. 
And again, John, thank you so much for sharing this time with me on Accreditation Insights at Up Accreditation. I'm truly uh, grateful and thank you so much. You're welcome.